Good morning, everyone. I'd like to ask you all to please turn with me to near the very back of your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I am really, really excited to share this chapter with you all today. Uh, we're going to be in the first uh, in, in verses 6 through 12. The reason I'm so excited is I know how much this church loves the gospel. And I'll tell you, this passage is absolutely saturated with it. Before we begin, please pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, please prepare our hearts this morning to hear your word. Help us to see the testimonies you have for us even today so that we may believe in the Son of God. Lord, I ask you that you let my words be your words. Let them always point back to you this morning. I ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. As people, we create monuments and memorials all the time. Some of them are really strange, like the largest ball of twine in, in Kansas. Some monuments memorialize the great events in history. For example, the Lincoln Memorial and the Penny help us remember a great president that brought freedom to many. Other monuments, though, testify to really tragic events in history. They help us keep these times as a visible testimony to the fact that they occurred to future generations. Like the September 11th Memorial, where the Holocaust museums are located throughout all the world. I remember very vividly when I was 13, we took a class trip to Washington, D.C., and we saw the Holocaust Museum there. It was horrifying, seeing what human beings are capable of doing to other human beings. Seeing the emaciated victims of the Holocaust and not knowing how someone could actually endure that level of abuse and starvation. Seeing the methods that they used to execute so many people because of their extreme and sinful hatred. This was just 80 years ago that these events took place, that Hitler applied Darwinism to humans, tried to speed up the assumed process of this materialistic worldview by destroying the people. It's important for us to remember events like these so that we can prevent them from reoccurring. We need to remember that what people are truly capable of this is why those museums exist across the world, why they hold evidence inside of them. They are of themselves a testimony that this tragic event took place. In the same way, the Apostle John will point us to three testimonies today that God has given us. They all bear witness what has been done on the most important, the most wonderful, and the most horrific moment in all of history. When the world crucified God in the flesh, spilling his precious, innocent blood and rage and an evil, not knowing that at the same time that Jesus was atoning for the sins, even for some of those that might have mocked him while he died. This is the only time in the world that someone truly innocent was murdered. This was also the only time in the world that a true atoning sacrifice was made. This is an event that we must always remember and look to in 
And praise be to God that he has given us ways to make it visible even today so that we can remember. Please read with me, starting in verse 6 all the way to verse 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Before we go further, I just want to address, if you're reading a King James or a New King James Version this morning, this is one of the few areas in the Bible where it's going to look a little different. Verses 7 and 8 are expanded. I'll tell you, it is extremely unlikely that they are the way that they are in those versions. Those additional words very explicitly state the Trinity. They say, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. However, brothers and sisters... I want to comfort you that the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't rest on these words alone by any means. In our passage today, even, we have God giving us three testimonies about the Son. One of these testimonies is the Holy Spirit. Clearly, God giving the testimonies must refer to the Father, since it's about the Son and includes the Holy Spirit. So in short, even without this addition in the King James and New King James, we still have the Trinity on view in this particular passage. I'd also like to give some context and background on this passage, too. This passage is nestled in between two really important sections in 1 John. It is right after the finale of a major section speaking on the love of God and what we actually have in God's love. John has just told us we've become God's children, and by nature, we will love the rest of God's children. He tells us then that the reason that we can do this is that we have overcome the world already in Jesus. Right after our passage today, John will go on to give us the main reason he has written 1 John, that we may know that we have eternal life. He then ends the letter with a final admonition to stay in the true faith of belief in Jesus. However, right where we are today, we have a very difficult, almost strange passage that connects these sections. It connects the love of God, the triumph of Jesus over the world, and the admonition to stay in the true faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones thought that these are possibly the hardest verses in all of the Bible to understand. With fear and trembling, I'll share what I believe John is most likely speaking to. I believe that in this passage, John is connecting these thoughts by giving us three reasons to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. He's telling us how God is currently testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. This is really, really important for his readers to know. 
There are false prophets that are out in his day already. They're out and about and spreading a false view of Christianity. That the Christ didn't really die. That the atoning work and the bloodshed was not the really important thing that happened in Jesus' ministry. In our passage today, however, John and the Spirit are arguing that we are to believe in Jesus, the source of eternal life, because we have three testimonies attesting to this truth from God. And that we will receive eternal life by believing. However, if we don't believe, it's also clear we call God a liar and we will not obtain eternal life. John and God, in this passage, are telling us that there is no other way. It's binary, one or the other. The only way to obtain eternal life is through belief in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. If we put our faith in anything else, we deny the testimonies of God himself, and we will not have eternal life. John tells us very clearly in verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God gave us, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is a stark decision. If we believe the Bible to be true, then there are consequences. There are eternal consequences. This is not a moral code or how to live. This is the fact that we are broken and we are dead in our sins. We are separated from God by these sins. And there is only one way to be reconciled. Through the sacrificial life and death of Jesus the Christ. This is the central message, not of just 1 John, but of the entire Bible. There's an analogy that we've all often heard talking about coming to Christ. That we're out there drowning and Jesus throws us a life preserver. However, the common way of also rephrasing this is, we're not drowning, we're dead. We're at the bottom of the lake. God goes and gets us, drags us to shore, and resurrects us. And that's what John is really saying in verse 12. He says, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Prior to God saving us, we don't have life. We are dead. We are at the bottom of the lake And it takes not a rescue, but a resurrection to save us. That's where John's emphasis is this morning. He has a heart for you all, for his readers then and his readers now. He desperately wants us to both believe and know that we believe. To help us, he is showing us God's testimony and the prime reason that we should believe. That God himself is testifying to Jesus as the Christ, the only way. And John gives us three ongoing, visible testimonies this morning. Three ways that God is testifying to this day of who Jesus is. And we know that these are God's testimonies. As John says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony that he has borne concerning his son. Before we get into those reasons... Give you just a quick blurb here. Why, why three? Why is God choosing three? Well, He's making sure that we can trust Him. He didn't have to give us three, but by doing so, He is being very consistent with Scripture, what we should expect for witnesses. Deuteronomy 17 6, 
and 2 Corinthians 13.1 both look for two or three human witnesses on matters of discipline. In this case, God is giving us the upper bound and of it's his own witness so that we are left with no excuse. We hear these reasons in verses 6 through 8. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. The backdrop of how important this is. Eternity rests on it for you. Let's turn to these three testimonies, the water, the blood, and the spirit. So let's first look at what is meant by the water. When we reference water, we're most likely going back to baptism. First and foremost, we have Jesus' baptism. We can look at Matthew three sixteen and 17 for one of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism. This passage says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Brothers and sisters, we know that Jesus had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness from the other accounts. This is a critical event in redemptive history. We then also have the Spirit descending on Jesus right after the baptism. We have God the Father testifying that this is his beloved Son. This is one of the high points in all of redemptive history. The Trinity is all visible, and they're testifying in this one moment to who Jesus is right as he starts his ministry. This is one of the bookends to Jesus' ministry on earth. However, Jesus' baptism is also pointing forward to the significance of baptism. There's a reason that we consider this to be one of the two sacraments that we have in our church. Why we baptize new believers or new children born into the church. Paul tells us the significance of what it makes visible in Romans 6, verses 4 through 6. There Paul says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Brothers and sisters, through baptism, we are united with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. This is an ongoing testimony. Every time we baptize someone, we display the gospel visibly. This is someone new that has joined Christ in both death and resurrection. How wonderful and amazing is it when we can start a service with a baptism downstairs? I'm sure you remember them. I treasure each one myself, and I can't wait until we can do that again. And how amazing was it that there were 14 just recently in one church in Maine? 
Do you remember your own? I'm sure you can go back to the feeling of how wonderful it was. Just think about that for a moment. If you can't, you can still see this gospel being made visible through the baptism that you have seen every time you see a new believer coming to Jesus. Chance to publicly proclaim that you believe and trust in Jesus' work. To be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can see the gospel made visible. And it has a profound impact on our hearts every time we were able to do that as a church together. That we do this, though, continues to memorialize that this was a real event in history. The most important event in all of world history. And this is a stronger witness than a mere statue or plaque. Those will tarnish. They will rust. This is a stronger witness than even the museums. Museums and memorials like the Holocaust Museum or the Lincoln Memorial, they can be torn down and removed. God gives us baptism as an ongoing testimony so that we may be strengthened in our faith and continue to remember what Christ has accomplished for us every time we see one. If you have not been baptized, but you are ready to make your public proclamation of faith, I urge you to speak with an elder and to share your baptism, not only for your own sake, but for the sake of the whole church. It is an event of unsurpassable joy. And it will encourage everyone that gets to be a part of that. And that's our first testimony. Water. Meaning baptism. As a testimony to Christ's accomplished work and that he has risen again. The second testimony is blood. Blood is a clear reference to Jesus' blood that has been spilled on our behalf. That has covered our sins. This is Jesus' accomplished work on our behalf. As John says in verse 6, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. We can see the bookends of his earthly ministry. Jesus' baptism, as we said earlier, marks the beginning of his public ministry. All the way to the point on the cross where Jesus proclaimed, It is finished. When, we, when he had experienced God's wrath that was stored up for us. The wrath that we deserved. He took it all and covered us with his atoning blood. Brothers and sisters, without that blood, there is no Christ. The covering of our sins demanded the blood sacrifice of the perfect man in order to fully cover and pay for them. There had to be justice. You might be thinking, though, how is this an ongoing testimony? Kent, doesn't the book of Hebrews tell us that this was done once for all? Yeah, you're right. However, just like baptism, every Sunday when we have communion, we testify to Jesus' precious blood. It takes away our sins. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. When he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As Paul says, when we take communion, we are proclaiming or testifying to Jesus' death. This is an ongoing memorial and testimony to what Jesus has done, that it is finished. This is why Southwest Harbor Congregational Church, that we take communion every week. This is a continuing witness that won't fade. As Paul says, it will happen until he comes back. No one can stop communion from occurring except Jesus himself coming back for his people. So when we take communion later today, take that to heart. This is a witness. See this as a testimony to Christ's blood on the cross. This testifies in a stronger way than the experience of walking into the Holocaust Museum. There I saw the memorial of what man is capable of. Communion, however, is showing both the horror that we are capable of and the merciful love of God. Both were on full display on the cross. The cruelty and anger and evil of man in murdering the only innocent to ever live, the Son of God, and the love of Jesus that held him there. To pay for my sin, to pay for your sin, to pay for the sin that all that believe in him. The most wonderful display of love and the most evil event in history were one and the same on the cross. Our first testimony, the water, referred to baptism, showing Jesus' burial and resurrection. Our second testimony, the blood, refers to the communion and Jesus' atoning work on the cross. The third and final testimony that John gives us this morning is the Spirit. The Spirit is clearly the Holy Spirit, the third member of Trinity, God himself, testifying to who Jesus is. As we've talked about, this isn't a one-time thing, however. We've had the Spirit appear visibly in the baptism of Jesus, as we read earlier. We can also look to the events of Pentecost, proving that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit after ascending to heaven. But this is an ongoing testimony as well, just like communion, just like baptism. So how do we see the Spirit? How do we see this testimony that God has given? Because it's not in a sacrament. Jesus tells us in John 3, 8, there he said to Nicodemus, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we can see the effects of the Spirit, even if we cannot see the Holy Spirit himself. What do those effects look like? It's similar to how we see the wind. We can look up at a tree and see the branches swaying. We can feel the wind against our skin. In the same way, we can see how the Spirit changes the lives of those that he inhabits, those that God has redeemed, Christians. This is looking at the trajectory of your life, of others' lives, of Christian lives throughout history. This is where we can see that the Spirit has moved. We can see this testimony incredibly clearly. We see the greater miracle that Jesus refers to. This isn't behavior modification. This is a heart being turned from stone into flesh. 
the spiritually dead being brought to life. This is what Ezekiel's vision is about when he prophesies to the dead bones. Then he prophesies to the spirit to fill them and bring them to life. Ezekiel saw this in a vision. But brothers and sisters, we get to see it face to face. As a testimony to who Jesus really is. The Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. This is the spirit that brought the Apostle Paul to life. From a spiritually dead Pharisee, persecuting Christians, doing all he can to destroy the name and worship of Jesus, to being the most prolific author in the New Testament, to going on long and difficult missionary trips, to spread the gospel, to suffering and even dying for the name of Jesus. This is the spirit that brought St. Augustine to life, men that lived for his own pleasure and enjoyed destroying what others had just because of the wrongness of it. Spirit redeemed him to a life that was dedicated to the gospel. So changed by God that he wrote multiple books that are read to this day, like the City of God and Confessions. He preached over 6,000 sermons, and he's heralded as one of the church fathers. This is the spirit that brought Martin Luther to life, living in agony, not knowing if he could possibly even confess everything that he had done wrong. The Spirit emboldened him to become the man that stood against the most powerful political organization the world had ever seen for the gospel. This is the Spirit that brought to life Rosaria Butterfield. She was a radical lesbian feminist professor of English and women's studies. She was diametrically opposed to Christianity. She saw Christians as stupid, as menacing, as pointless. But... The Holy Spirit brought her to life, too. Rosaria's changed in amazing ways. She's now married to a pastor with children with a heart for honoring God with all that she is. She uses her writing and her speaking ability now to praise God and glorify him and bring people to him. I can also personally attest that this is the spirit that brought me to life from someone so filled with anger that I couldn't have a call with a cable company customer service without profanities just coming out of me. I was someone so full of pride. I thought very little of others. I had very little grace to give anyone that made mistakes. I was even destroying my relationship with my parents with the way that I acted. The Spirit has changed me into someone that, by God's grace, I'm now even seen by others sometimes as too weak at work because I lead with compassion. Someone that has restored my relationship with the parents that I treasure. I'm grateful to my wife, my children, and my parents that have given me grace upon grace as God changes me. I know I'm far from who he will make me to be, but I can clearly see he has made me a different person entirely than the person I was before he came to me. Brothers and sisters, this is the spirit that brought you and those around you today to life. Family of God. Think back to who you were. Think about the things that you have done. The person you once were. How you were spiritually dead at the bottom of the lake. If you have come to him, then the spirit has brought you to life. He has changed you into what you are now. He will continue to change you for the rest of your life. This 
is how we can see the Spirit. We can see the work that He has done to change so many in history and around us, even in this church. This is a living testimony to who Jesus is, to the life-changing power of His blood, to what He has done by paying for our sins, by sending the Spirit to bring us to life. And what we see now pales in comparison to what we will see in heaven. Then we won't need a testimony any longer because we will see God face to face. Brothers and sisters, it is unfortunate that we're not there yet for us. We're not yet seeing God face to face. But until that time, we have these three breadcrumbs, these three Ebenezers, these three critical testimonies that God has left for us. John gives us an encouragement and a warning in verse 10 of our text. He says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. If you believe, you have the testimony in yourself. That testimony being the Holy Spirit himself, God residing within you. So believe these testimonies of Jesus as the Son of God. Otherwise, as John says, we make him a liar. The consequences of which is eternal death. As verse 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Family of God, believe in Jesus. He is the source of eternal life. There is no other. Believe because God has set these three testimonies right in front of us. This is a better testimony than anything man has made. These testimonies will endure until the end of time. And they will not pass away. Every single day that goes by just strengthens the power of these testimonies. These testimonies have already endured for nearly 2,000 years already. How faithful and merciful is our God to us. We don't know where to find the Ebenezer stone that Samuel set up to commemorate the victory over the Philistines. We can't go to see Solomon's temple in all its glory. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. One day the Holocaust museums will probably be gone as well. The Lincoln Memorial may also be gone before the day of the Lord. But these three testimonies that John gives us, he shows us today, they will endure until Jesus comes for us again. Until then, he gives us these testimonies so that we can continually see that he is at work in the world today. He is not inactive. He is not just waiting. He is continually performing the greatest miracle of all, bringing the spiritually dead to true life. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, Thank you for this time together as a church. Thank you for your word. Let us see the gospel made visible in communion today. Give us eyes to see the change that you have made in each of us through the Holy Spirit and to be encouraged by one another's examples. Thank you for paying the penalty of our sins, for dying for us, for spilling your precious blood on our behalf and rising again from the dead so that we can be with you forever. Help us to put our faith in you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.